Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. My name is Holland Henderson, and this is the Risk and Reward Podcast. And today, got a very special guest, my friend, Hunter Abramson. What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Just yeah. uh, happy to be here. Got in from Atlanta a couple hours ago. What is it like flying with no masks now? It is the best feeling in the entire world. Oh. I flew the day after the mandate was lifted, and it was just so freeing. So I flew Allegiant because Allegiant only flies into this particular small airport. Just flew that. With three small children and masks. And I, I mean, it was another ring of downstairs. Then you, I mean, it was at that point in time, you're like, if the plane crashes, it, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's how I go up every time. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I kind of make peace with that every time I get in the air. Right. But now you have a little bit more freedom. You got oh. your uncovered and you can watch your movies without steaming up glasses or anything like that. Listen, I had a strategy of how to eat throughout an entire flight so I could keep my mask down for a Did little bit. Did you gain bit. any weight from this mask mandate being on flights just constantly? I wish. <laughs> That's my biggest struggle these days. Is gaining weight? Gaining weight. <laughs> Well, I don't think all of us can. I mean, it, for me, it's very simple, very easy to do. I've I have somehow formed a strategy over my life to just not try to gain weight, but just gain weight. I'll get. Hey, we can trade. You know, golly, that I'm would be awesome. That's all. Yeah, let's do it. So today we're talking not about mass mandates and flying, <laughs> even though that is fun. Those are you know the Wright brothers. They were onto some stuff there, but um, we're talking about your business. So, yeah. So tell us, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. So uh, my name is Hunter Abramson. Um, let's see kind of my history and background. My family moved to Lakeland actually from San Francisco when I was about eight years old. Uh, I was born in LA. We moved from LA to San Francisco about when I was like two or three. So the, would it be correlation or causation of the reason why the prices are starting to look like home prices in San Francisco here in Lakeland? Yeah, I'm talking to all my California friends right now, and everyone is uh, quite confused on that as they're coming over here saying, I thought I was leaving this. This is absolutely right. insane. Right. Um, but yeah, we, our family moved here when I was, you know, around seven or eight. Um, and uh, I went to Lakeland Christian here in Lakeland and um, kind of grew up in this marketing and promotions world under my dad, uh, who was a legend when it came to promotions and marketing, kind of globally with Sega and Sonic the Hedgehog, the Harlem Globetrotters, Ice Capades, Disney, studios and networks. So small companies, small, small time things. Yeah, it was an interesting, you know, and fun life to grow up in. And then to come here to Lakeland, he came and started an agency in Orlando. Um, and so I kind of grew up here in Lakeland, um, but also being able to play outside of Polk County and yeah. watch my dad uh, kind of do the big things while we got to live here. Um, it was a great place to grow up. Then went to uh, Florida State and I've kind of bopped around to Tampa, went back to L.A., came back to Lakeland, figuring out what's next, stay here long term, whatever. And then, um, yeah, my whole career has been I told my dad when I went to college I would never do what he did. Uh -huh. And as soon as I got there, I said, it looks like I have to do what you do. It's <laughs> all I'm good at. That's about it. <laughs> so, That's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, my whole career and all of my jobs have really been around sports entertainment, uh, ranging from all the different verticals in those industries of operations and sponsorship and promotions and marketing and activation experience to finance. Um, so I've gotten to work at a lot of great organizations, uh, mainly as a consultant. I've never really... Um, worked under them or in them because I'm really an entrepreneur at heart, which is where I am now. And uh, it was a long path of education through all these big corporations to learn a lot. Um, 
you know, a couple different pro sports teams, the PGA. Um, I was very blessed to be able to travel a lot um, when I started uh, working with all these different companies. Um, and so, then, so when you got out of college, what was your main focus? Actually, I partnered up with my dad at his agency. Okay. Um, well, it was that, and then I was consulting for the PGA in operations. Um, it was an internship that I had in college that had turned into a more full-time gig for a tournament out in Palm Springs. So I was spending about nine months of the year working at VisionWorks' agency, and then three months living in Palm Springs, doing pre, during, and post-tournament stuff with the PGA. It's Changed a lot of names. It's now the Amex Open out there. It was a Humana Challenge and the Career Builder Challenge. And uh, most famously, it was Bob Hope Classic, what everyone really knew it for. Okay. And we did every, I did everything. I started out there, and I'll never forget it, at an internship where I was very blessed to have all the relationships my dad had. Yeah, they knew you. They knew me, but my dad's thing was always two things. It's not the grades you make, it's the hands you shake. Wow. <laughs> Learned that at a young age. And then it was, I'll open any door you want, but you've got to close it. So he got me in at an interview for this internship at the PGA. It was my first time, like, really going out on my own. I, at that time, had to pay for two weeks to go out there, pay them to let me intern for them. <laughs> That's brilliant. To dig trenches for electrical cords, for fencing, to learn the operations of a PGA tournament. And... Um, I had a great relationship with my first boss out there, uh, Scott Easton, who's now at Live Nation, and uh, he invited me back out the next year. And it kind of turned into more of a consistent, I think I was there for four or five years constantly going back out there, and it kind of grew into there were three different courses where I ended up uh, running the operations on one of the courses, but got to play in all the different aspects, from volunteers and ticketing to sponsorship and player engagement. And it was really fun, and then from there, um, my dad's agency that I worked for and then partnered with him on, we uh, did a lot of work with a lot of different pro sports teams and then a lot of uh, the studios and networks as it pertains to like cross-promotional marketing with big box brands and activation on site and experience um, on uh, not really driving engagement through digital but through physical and tangible experience. Okay, so explain that a little bit more. Granularly. So, yeah, so I'm trying to think of a, you know, a better example. Um, you know, if you go to uh, – there's a thing that Netflix just did with Stranger Things where they created an entire experience to promote the show in Los Angeles. It was a walkthrough experience that you got to almost live in the show. Anybody got to go. Anybody got to go. It was to create um, engagement uh, with the show from people that either didn't know it or who knew it and were true fans and could get a little bit closer into the brand that they never had before. So is it creating an attachment to? Really it is, yeah. Okay. Um, and just, I mean, really just driving an experience. And um, So was that your dad's, uh, for his agency, that was his entire work was to create experiences or engagement with population? That's correct. Uh, really through tangible activations. There was, um, you know, the, <laughs> I got to experience a lot of, crazy things when I was growing up to learn a lot of this business. Uh, one of his clients was EA Sports. So for the Madden release, and I can't remember, and there's a couple buddies in town who did this with me. He was in charge of the entire uh, promotional release of the new Madden game. Holy smokes. So, and he had brought in Monster Energy Drink as a brand sponsor. Yeah. And <laughs> it was awesome. I think I was like 14 years old, a couple of my buddies here, like uh, I think Michael Mutz and David Blanco, yeah. he hired us in this warehouse to stuff like 20,000 
promotional bags with Monster Energy drinks, Madden, and other brand activations that were a part of it to ship Holy out smokes. here in Lakeland. Um, and it was great because we got paid in Monster. So yeah, it was right, awesome. Because right. I mean, at that point, money doesn't make any sense, but Monster in a drink drink. Yeah, it, you know, those experiences to me like are just um, something that not a lot of people get to see at a young age. To understand what drives engagement, how to build a brand and like activate with your brand uh, with humans across the board. So growing up in it, it was just, you know, my first experience with it um, when my dad was running all the promotions for Sega was he rented out Alcatraz for the new Sonic and Knuckles release. Oh, wow. Like and as in the prison. As in the prison in San Francisco. And you it can was, rent that out? It was a whole deal he did. Okay. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. Like who's throwing their birthday parties? It was, they, yeah, it was, it was, he got hard rock in, uh, from all over the globe and he cut a deal with the city to really do one of the uh, more innovative esports. This was in the early 90s, esports activations where he did a global competition for video games on Alcatraz where they played and competed on the island in the prison. Was that his brainchild? That was his brainchild. Yes. What? It was crazy. It's called Rock the Rock. You can go check it out on YouTube. It's a great, there's a lot of great footage uh, from MTV that's yeah. still out there. MTV um, still around? MT I don't know if it's still around. <laughs> I, it, it was the big dog back then, but uh, yeah. And just growing up around this, I didn't. I I took it for. Uh, I took advantage of it, both. Um, not really understanding what I was growing up in. You didn't know how big it was. I did not, and I didn't know like how interactive it was and what it was doing, uh, and what I was learning throughout this. Because um, nowadays. As all this digital stuff is happening, and that's what I'm doing with this company, all of the old stuff, all the old marketing pushes, promotional pushes, reaches, it's all the same thing, just getting repackaged for digital through a new communication factor. And I've been able to use all this to really kind of switch over to that. So you are getting a master's degree in digital marketing as a child because your dad was pushing you up front yeah. to be able to see this. It wasn't hidden behind closed doors. I mean, he was allowing you guys to be witnesses of it. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I didn't really understand it at the time. And now being this age and having my own company and um, being able to connect with a lot of my father's network on my own, I'm learning through a lot of them. Like you you got an MBA at a really young age mm -hmm. um, just through the experience you went through. And you essentially lived three lives, you know, through this of being able to learn all this. So uh, when I started this new company, Relic, it was just, it just made sense to me with the new technology that's out there and taking in old ways that have worked and just repackaging them and utilizing them to make experience better for all parties at the table. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's go ahead and take our first break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Hunter. Hey, man. So question, while you were telling all those stories, one of the things I kept thinking about was, did you move into this business because it was a move of convenience or did you find passion to do it, you know, to be in entertainment and in marketing? No, it was a, for me, it was a move of conviction because I truly believe in it. Really? In every aspect. And I've seen it work. And it's really weird to watch something play out, especially if you're able to create like a, a marketing strategy or creative promotion and watch it not only be executed and come to life, but to see it play out, see reactions of humans to it, see them engage with it mm -hmm. and get feedback. 
that just makes you want to dive in more and get more creative and think even bigger. So that's how, after all of this, I then end up going into all this new different stuff uh, for this new company because I just have conviction in both like the operational side of what we're doing with the new technology, but also the ability to, you know, our company can put smiles on people's faces through the interactions that we're creating that haven't been able to be done before. So let's go ahead and talk about Relic. What is it? So Relic is an NFT ticketing company. Um, we are taking ticketing um, to a little bit of a new level while fixing some of the problems that are currently out there as it pertains to security and fraud. All tickets are built on blockchain. Um, okay. Every ticket is an NFT from start to finish. And I, I consider it saying from A to Y. So, or A to Y is when the consumer is purchasing the ticket. They really don't see any blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs. We've been able to mask all the technology on the front to be able to bridge the gap for current uh, events and experiences happening right now while utilizing the technology for better purposes to make the ticketing experience a little bit better. Okay. So how is Relic making the ticketing experience better? Yeah, we have from the consumer view. Consumer view. So we've got a lot of value propositions on, you know, reducing fraud because it is on blockchain and transactions are uh, uneditable uh, with NFT tickets. We're reducing fraud. Um, new data is being collected that is uh, able to serve the consumer in a better way. Um, it's protecting the consumer a lot more and the fluid process of being able to just transfer a ticket to someone else rather than the current systems right now. You've got to download all these different apps and you've got to go from one app to the next or get an email, create a new account, all that stuff. Uh, one of our biggest value propositions, well, there's two for the consumer on that end is because it's an NFT, uh, post-event, once the ticket is scanned on site, the ticket actually can go into an Ethereum-based wallet. So for people who do want to take advantage of what an NFT is and the utility it has, it then creates almost a communication line with their wallet address for the experience they were just at for new added value benefits, um, experiences, VIP drops, new ticket sales, an interaction they wouldn't have gotten before, that they're now a part of a community that they get to engage with and almost engage with the the artists and the experience slash event directly. Holy shit. So there's an experience after the experience. That's the whole thing. We're creating basically just a black hole of experiences post the experience to where you essentially are getting tied to an experience you were just at. And we're taking all of the good parts of that that you experience and being able to give it back to you post event. Um, and also things that, you know, as a ticket holder that went to uh, a music festival, I want to say I was at the one in 2022. So all ticket holders that were at the 2022 music festival are going to get a uh, special edition 2022 t-shirts sent to you. And okay. so we are, we're being able to segment and run promotions. Um, and one of the things I've been really heavy with on a lot of our clients is, you know, there is such thing as over programming, over subscribing and spamming. How do you create intention with what you are giving your community in order for them to feel valued and feel heard and take advantage of what we've created without running them off and not wanting to be a part of it. Yeah. So, and the other big thing we have uh, on our tickets is a revolving QR code, but essentially when you purchase um, a ticket from us right now, if you bought, you know, seven different, let's say you went to a music festival, because that's really our main target right now. Yeah. So you bought parking, let's say you bought a t-shirt, you bought six beers and your ticket. It's all consolidated to that one NFT ticket and that one QR code on your phone and on our wallet that you can walk around and be scanning and being able to use that one ticket in one consolidation point. 
So okay. Currently, right now, as rather we, than having having to fiddle with your credit card, or you could you could just walk into the venue with your phone. Is that cor- what you're that's, saying? That is correct. Yeah, okay. and it is you know KYC uh, transactions approved uh, as it pertains to any purchases you've made, um, and really our clients right now because we're really sticking on the general admission side as we're doing a lot of case studies, we're testing this out as music festivals and conferences, mm-hmm. uh, just because we're creating new flows for them and the ability uh, ability to use this new technology. Um, so we have a big music festival out of Denver um, called Sonic Bloom that we just did all the tickets for. They're about to, uh, the event is in the middle of June. Okay. Um, and it's gonna be one of the first ever NFT ticketed music festivals in the country. Oh wow. Which is huge. But I've had a lot of people come to me asking, you know, that's an awesome barrier, bro. Can you talk about that? For me, the barrier that we broke was I delivered thousands of NFTs to people that have no idea what an NFT is yet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I want it. I don't really know what it is. Exactly. What does it even do for me? So we're in a yeah. huge education process, too, of early adopters and bridging the gap. But we, we consider ourselves one of the leading people to bridge the gap between Web 2 and Web 3. And how, how do you make it? Uh, easy enough for consumers to understand the benefits of it and why we're doing it uh, without the clunkiness that it currently is when it comes to NFTs and what they are. We focus on the utility of what it is rather than a profile picture. So how do you, so explain the utility of an NFT if you, you can. Yeah. So, you know, I always, it's always funny when people ask all these questions because I'm trying to, my brain has been so immersed in this in the past yeah. year and a half that I try to figure out the best way to put it. Um, essentially, the best way I've come up with is consider an NFT a cup, right? Yeah. You've got a cup and it's empty. So that can be a ticket, right? Yeah. But you can fill that cup with water, with Coke, with sweet tea and lemonade for an Arnold Palmer. Mm. But consider that liquid, other added benefits, other values, other engagement with that event that you currently wouldn't have. And that is essentially what an NFT is. is It's filling, it's using the ticket as a base in our terms and being able to add value across it and inside of it. Currently, when people think about NFTs, they're thinking about Board Ape Yacht Club and the big NFT projects that are profile picture projects that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. That is not what we're doing. We're strictly focusing on the utility, which is what I think is in the longevity of all of this. So are you taking it to where you're giving the user the ability to fill their their ticket let's say their cup yep. with a with a unique experience that they had and then keeping that experience and yeah. then keep, and then not letting it be closed end yeah that's cr- so you know on the minor side it's it is great that everyone who's going to have a ticket is going to have a collectible that's great okay. but yeah we are essentially creating more experience off the experience okay well let's go ahead and take another break and we're coming right back All right, we're back with Hunter Abramson with Relic Tickets. So another question I had, so when I'm thinking about it, you know, whenever I would go to an event as a kid, I would keep the ticket stub, right? So my first Gator game, kept the ticket stub. First concert, kept the ticket stub. Is that kind of the attitude that you're looking forward to giving people an NFT wallet? That's, yeah, that's a that's a great start to it. And I think it's a great education piece to get them there. Um, you know, I grew up and had 
a cardboard box full of ticket stubs. Yeah. From all the experiences I went to, I loved ticket stubs for some reason. And it was awesome to always look through them. And I'm a big sports card collector too. So being able to have the tangible item to show that I either uh, value something or went to an experience and it brings back a flood of memories and that human behavior of it can bring back, a ticket stub could bring back everything from smell and taste and noise yeah. just from looking at it or holding a tangible side of it. And I love everything's gone digital, which is awesome. That's great. But we've lost that essence of memory and sociability around the ticket and the experience you went to. You still have photos and all of that, which is awesome. But this is just one step further to have that memory for you to keep, to know exactly where you sat. But on top of that, that's the base part of us getting it to the human and then taking the advantages of the NFT technology to communicate and take from that event something that was emotionally triggering in a good way and let them relive that by giving them an added value or benefit post the event as well. And then keeping them around to say, hey, you know, because I went here last year, I want to go next year, but I want to be treated as someone who valued this event. And I want to be in communication throughout the year since a lot of these, you know, clients we're doing right now are annual events with a large gap in between that they got to have to keep communication and their community together. So how do you do that? And you do that by utilizing the NFT technology with an NFT ticket. So not a transition to a different type of event, but the way that I could see someone were running a race, right? Yeah. And they ran that race every single year. You're saying that the NFT would then be able to communicate with, or you you would have a community of people knowing who was a multi-year running runner or multi-year attendee at the festival a hundred percent there is ways to create long-term loyalty with nft tickets there are ways to that we have evolving nft uh technology to where let's let's take the race example you go right before you run a race it has the logo of the race and the photo and that's the nft that's in your wallet post race it can evolve into your specific time from that race and the branding from that and evolve into your personal experience from what it was. So it's just a patchwork that just continues to compile upon each other? Yeah, you can make it that way. You can create, you can gamify situations by collecting different NFTs that un unlock long-term or benefits by having multiple NFTs from maybe different sections of an arena or around a music festival or buying a certain amount of merchandise um, or attaching, you know, we've had conversations with some pro sports teams and like, okay, you have a sponsorship, right? Let's say you have the Toyota Club. How do they now get value outside of signage? You know, there's been enough digital, there's been enough signage, and what's the next step? Well, we can start adding value to ticket holders in that section saying, hey, Toyota, thanks you for being here. We're gonna, Every ticket we're going to attach a Toyota rebate to. Oh, wow. And we thank you for coming to the Toyota Club. And so we're going to attach this rebate for you to go check out a car and get a good deal. Holy smokes. So this isn't the way that you're looking at NFT is T's is not the way that people are talking about on social media and the news of trading. And then all of a sudden I become a millionaire. This is you're creating NFTs that it becomes a personalized experience and attachment to that continues to follow them through their their continued use of that venue. That's 100 percent correct. We are focused on not the pop culture and vanity of NFTs. We're focused on utility at Relic. So how did we get so far off of the utility view of nfts i mean obviously there's some greed drive there of course and i don't think we got far off i don't think we've gotten there yet i don't think people fully even in the web3 community who are running all of this i don't think people still have fully gotten there and they're trying to understand too we've just our team has just had you know an amazing careers between all of us all four of uh, the people that are really involved on the core side of this 
uh, that we see all of the engagement to use NFT technology to really change the world. I think there's not a whole lot of industries that are going to live out uh, um, this whole Web3 boom. You know, I think personally, ticketing and experience is going to be one of the top. It's the best way to bridge the gap in education and to get it into the consumer's hands to experience what the technology can do. So is this like cave getting fire for the first time? We just don't know how to use it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Uh, I say to a lot of people, if someone says they're an expert in NFTs or crypto, you should run away because we still <laughs> don't know. And if anyone who is in this industry is saying that, that is false because even the, even the so-called experts in this industry – I'm learning new stuff every day, and this is my company. So we know we got a good thing. We just don't know how it fully fits into our society right now. That's correct. And we don't know the capabilities and how deep it can go. I mean, if you want to really just like blow your mind, we can ticket events inside virtual reality in the metaverse right now with NFT tickets that are physical that will not let you enter physical spaces in virtual reality if the NFT is not attached to your avatar. Yeah, not there yet, man. It's, it's getting out of control. I personally am a big believer that the physical experience will never go away. Yeah, Smell, 100%. taste, touch, sound, that is for as human behavior, we need that. Yes. So that's the other thing I, I really don't like. Everyone pushes the metaverse and VR and, you know, immersive technology uh, so heavily. I personally believe that this world is going to still need physical experience and that that is just an added. Yeah, it's one more ability to make it a three-dimensional offering. That's correct. Not uh, for, from a physical standpoint, not from a virtual standpoint. That's correct. So let's talk about the blockchain and the added security that you guys are, you're adding to ticket, ticket exchanges and transfers and things like that. I felt like that that was a pretty relatively safe environment already, but you're saying that it needs improvement. It does. Uh, for example, I'll give a current event. Uh, Liverpool yesterday announced that for the Champions League, they are having a massive issue with people selling fraudulent tickets, that they are having to publicly go out and stop uh, social media accounts from selling fraudulent tickets for the Champions League over in Europe uh, that's going to be in Paris. It is currently happening. The amount of fraudulent tickets uh, in the U.S. Uh, when it comes to events. And then on top of that, the other piece of the technology that I don't think uh, a lot of people on one side is going to like is being able to, in the smart contract, control how much you can sell your ticket for in a profit. Yeah. So you can say, hey, you know, I bought this ticket for 100 bucks, but it's only letting me sell for 15% more for 115 and that's the max you can do. So it also starts to control scalping a little bit Yeah. as well from the primary side. But at the same time, every party wins because the primary ticket issuer is still getting a transactional revenue share from that transaction so it's a we're trying to level the playing field here and we feel like uh the ticketing industry has been very duct tape for a long time and there's been a lot of uh power in it that disruption is ready to happen mm -hmm. both on the general admission side and the venue side as well um and like i said our our focus has really been on how do we prove out this technology in the public and uh in general admissions so that people can actually start seeing this and educating people on the power of this technology. So you do not go on the Relic site or the Relic app to purchase tickets. You have to purchase them through the venues? Uh, yeah. So we don't currently do venues. So let's say, let's take a music festival, for example. We currently uh, can embed the entire ticketing process and link on their site. It is just powered by Relic. Okay. But it is branded under them. 
until the ticket is downloaded on our app, which is a wallet that anyone can use, that it's just a regular looking ticket. The entire Web3 side cryptocurrency blockchain has all been masked. There's no education needed. You don't need to download a MetaMask wallet or anything. It's literally just an app. And then post-event, if you'd like to take advantage of the NFT technology, you can put your Ethereum uh, wallet address in there, and the ticket will go directly in once it's been scanned. So what about the people who would be more concerned about you know, cybersecurity and safety, not from a fraudulent ticket, but from my information and the venues that I'm attending having a, a, a pile of information and data on me? Right now, it's essentially the exact same information they're having to input anyways. Uh, anyways. We're looking at this and saying, how do we not change the current process of what's happening? Because everyone's okay with the process, maybe not the outcome and the financial uh, stability of all of it. How do we keep that process okay, but amplify it uh, and make it better, not change what's happening right now? So the data, um, you know, ultimately it comes down to the event you're going to and the experience you're going to. What data do they want? But it's typically the same exact data you're giving up right now. That's incredible. So- where do you see the future of engagement going through this NFT process? So when I first started this, one of my main examples that I talked to investors and other people about was um, the ultimate goal is to be able to say, Holland, you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. You have season tickets. I know that you buy the same hot dog mm -hmm. every single game. And as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know? I know, I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> and as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the last game of the season, as you're sitting there, I can send you a free hot dog to your phone to go collect because I know you love that hot dog. Now, your friend sitting next to you, he's been having the pretzel the whole time. I can individually send you a, send him a pretzel because we want to thank you for being there all season. We know you and we understand you and we heard you. And so it allows the venue or the team or whatever to just engage. Not, I don't want to overuse that word, but it, it allows them to know their customer and treat them like a client. Exactly. Okay. And, and to take a – the ultimate goal is to take a 70,000-person stadium and create an individual relationship with one of their fans. Yeah, that's what I was – I mean, you painted that very good. So one of the previous conversations that you and I had, you were talking about um, if there was a famous picture that was taken, like Michael Jordan dunking, right? Mm -hmm. and, I mean – and then allowing you, if you are in the background and you didn't know because it was just a blurred mess, but you know that you were right there, the NFT would be able to connect you to that photo that was taken. Yeah, we're look. I call it. It's my own internal language. I call it the Splash Mountain effect. Yeah. Of you know, I'm not going to buy a, a photo of Holland going down Splash Mountain, but you, you're certainly going to want to buy it. Yeah. For, you know, because you want to remember that experience and your reaction. So instead of completely always focusing on the athletes or the experience, how do you take, how do you get those reactions back to the fans so they can see themselves at the experience to put one more memory in their pocket and create one more emotional attachment that they're going to want uh, to live on for the future that they currently probably couldn't get without, you know, going through a library of photos post-event? That is incredible, man. Or just trying to convince people that it was there rather than it being <laughs> uniquely made for them. That's cr I mean, yeah, we're looking at ways to uh, even be able to say, hey, I know Holland's at the Bucks game. You know, I'm going to text him because I just saw on the app that, you know, he's able to be there right now. That's cool. All right, well, let's to go ahead and take our last break.
All right, we're back with Hunter Abramson. So obviously this space is very full with some big players, the ticketing space. It is. That's a fact. That is a, <laughs> is a, that is a fact. <laughs> it's a factual statement. Um, this is David Goliath, man. It is. How are you dealing in that space like that? Um, listen, this space needs disruption. It's been a while. And disruption happens in every space in a cyclical pattern at certain times, um, especially in technologically driven spaces. Um, going back to my father when he was at Sega running all promotions and everything, I watched him and Tom Kalinske be David in that scenario with Sega. And mm. I watched them end up taking a mass majority of the market share from Nintendo. Yeah. Just through the same type of concepts of engaging um, with humans and creating emotional attachments um, with their brand. Um, I am in love with stories of disruption um, from all of the big disruptors that have currently come to play and that are playing now. Um, but I also believe that there are dis there are powerhouses and in industries that do get complacent and they do get too big to innovate. And when they're too big, and even if they can innovate, how do you implement and migrate any technology you've had across the board? Look at, I mean, just look at Blockbuster and Netflix, for example. Yeah. Um, Blockbuster got complacent. They had all the warnings in the world uh, to innovate alongside of what was happening, and they failed to do so, and look at where they're at. It's a really, that is a really, really hard thing to do, I'm sure. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm not running a multi-billion dollar company, but to be able to turn right whenever everything was working, going left. Yeah, and um, and we're blessed to be able to have kind of an inside look in the industry just from all of our past um, and our connections. And when, once you get in, you see that, um, you know, I think it's good where it's at. I think it can be a lot better. Um, I don't know if there's a – John Oliver did an entire, you know, clip on just the ticketing industry and where it's at and the scalping and the unfairness to consumers and giving a little bit of control back. I just see a lot of windows um, that are available to kind of disrupt this thing through tech um, that we're able to be nimble. You know, if a client has a quick change they need to make uh, to uh, add to the tech or to make it a little bit more personable for them, we have the ability to do that. Um, and we can focus on certain markets. Like we are just focused on, we're laser focused on music festivals and conferences and activations um, when it comes to big brands to be able to showcase the technology um, of engagement with the marketing tools that we have available. But having something this new and this cool, if you will, how do you not get trip over yourself dreaming so far into the future on how big this thing could be? Because <laughs> that's what, I mean, honestly, that's what I'm doing inside right now. I'm thinking this could go a multitude of different directions and all of them. Yeah, I mean, look, we, uh, I'm, the, I'm the CEO, and I have a COO who's very pragmatic, and we joke about our relationship because I'm the dreamer, and then he brings me down to reality uh, pretty heavily so we can execute and actually make a business out of this. But my mind goes immediately, why are we thinking just sports and entertainment? Mm -hmm. This can be applied to airlines. This can be yeah. applied to cruises. This can be applied to public transit yeah. and everything. That's where my head goes, and I see a disruption my disruption thought process isn't with ticketing. My disruption thought process is with access and experience. How do you create a one-stop access access stop to where you are not only buying your plane ticket in the same place, but getting your 
rental car that while you're getting off your plane is telling you how long the wait is for the shuttle to get to your rental car so that you can go get a coffee if you need to. How flawless can you make that experience? And that's why we are focused on experience, not just ticketing. It is how do you make experience better through this technology? It is really interesting on how, and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts um, with my sister Leah Hacker mm-hmm. and a couple of other branding people, but the the changes that we when we were happy with things being mass produced to now a demand that it's that it is individualized. Correct. It's been it's absolutely incredible that that's where it's going, and we have the abilities that we're creating to do that. Correct. Yeah, and I think that you know, there is a lot of people in the space right now. There's a lot of money getting thrown around in this space. This is what I consider, you know, the same as the dot-com boom and the dot-com bubble. People are taking advantage of what's in this space, and there's going to be a lot of failure in this space. I'm saying we, we could be one of them. I don't know. Um, I just see certain aspects of this technology and where it can play. There's certain ones that I see the longevity of it and where it can live out. And to, like I said, ex- experience as a whole is one of them, not just ticketing. I, you know, I'm starting to really not like the word ticket, not because it has just a bad connotation, but just because it's so much more now with this technology. It's an access pass to everything that you need all in one spot that you can put whatever you need in there to consolidate. It's not just a ticket anymore. So, and that's, so while you were saying that, I was thinking, well, why don't you just change the word ticket? Why don't you just change it into your own thing? But then I thought, how do you communicate that, what that is? I mean, like it's our like our cell phone. Our f- cell phone is not just a phone anymore. Yeah. Right. The, a phone is the, a very small portion of what we actually do on our mobile devices. Correct. But to be able to communicate that at the very onset of what a cell phone was, you couldn't have just said, "Hey, here's a mobile device." Nobody would have known what that was. Yeah. I mean, the amount of our business that is education is, I would say, eighty percent of our business right now. We have big box brands calling us to walk them through just one simple question. What is an NFT? That's it. Uh, we're, we're learning how far ahead we are right now in all this and how long this is going to play out. That is crazy. I've got so many more questions, and maybe we'll have a follow-up podcast to this eventually. But I always end the show on two questions. First of all, what are you listening to or reading right now that's kind of shaping you? <laughs> Let's see. I got, I got two things. Okay. Um, I can't li- wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm listening to a lot of NWA. Right. Okay. Okay. We're fighting the man here. Yeah, been a bit of an inspiration for me of the David and Goliath story. Um, and just, you know, disruption yeah. has been huge. And then I'm reading a book right now called Why Do We Sleep? And it's been intriguing on how much sleep plays into just your health. It's absolutely incredible. We've uh, one of the other podcasters here, Troy Garcia, um, was talking about this with um, Blake. Blake Scheidt, the, mm-hmm. the personal trainer, and how much sleep just... And now I have little minions in my house, my children, that try to disrupt my sleep. Right? Yeah. They, they're big believers in disruption. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'd like to be a student of sleep more than I am right now. Yeah. For sure. So the last question is, um, what are you most encouraged b- about in the world around you or your work? I think uh, probably the, mo- the thing I'm most encouraged, you know, as our team grows... Um, and having people come in from corporate jobs um, and from other jobs, seeing them learn and watching it, watching the evolution happen once they get in and start understanding to then being able to not only support clients or talk to them, but 
sell and pitch and explain to their friends, I think has been a really fun process for me to watch from the beginning when I came up with us going down this route and felt very alone. Mm -hmm. And now having a team who understands it and can actually talk about it with other people at a dinner table. Because um, I feel like, you know, a lot of questions are happening at dinner tables of what is cryptocurrency? What is What are NFTs? What yeah. is all this? And I don't understand it. And now to watch people uh, that we've been with be able to start explaining those things has been really cool for us. So how can people be on the lookout for Relic tickets? Uh, right now, we are really focusing, like I said, music festivals. We're all over. We're getting a lot of music festivals really around the country. Um, we are looking at some spots in Lakeland for case studies to be able to utilize the technology that I'd love for people to get on board and use. We are located at Catapult, uh, where we do ticket a lot of the stuff there. So people have been able to interact and use it there. Um, so, you know, look around for announcements. We just had a big, a big press release for uh, Sonic Bloom out in Denver. Um, on kind of what we're doing with them on a mass market scale, uh, which is going to be exciting coming up here in mid-June. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time, Hunter. Thanks for your your time and your friendship. Again, uh, my name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. Please go on our website at alleninvestments.com. There's a lot of great podcasts, a lot of great material on there uh, from a lot of of good people. Uh, Until next time, have a great day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.